A happy Wednesday to you. It is May the 4th. Ryan Jesperson here with you. John Hicks, our technical producer. May the 4th be with you. You knew it was coming at some point. (laughs) I wondered if uh, when we showed up today, if you'd be in like a stormtrooper outfit or you'd be dressed like Chewbacca or something like that. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it is Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Is this a day that you take deadly seriously? Uh, No, but I am. I do love Star Wars. My wife hates that I watch it all the time. So I watched it last night as I was doing prep. I had, you know, the new uh, series, uh, The Book of Boba Fett. On which uh, we all want to be as good as the Mandalorian, but just isn't. The Book of Boba Fett, so that's the the follow-up to the... It's the the follow-up from when he dies in the movie. Well, I I don't want to say anything. Did you just just drop a major... Do we need to start the show over again and cut this out of the podcast? Well, no, if there's a show, obviously he didn't die, right? So (laughs) I don't think I'm ruining anything there, but yeah, it's... uh, yeah, it's just not as good as The Mandalorian, and that's because of Baby Yoda. You well, can't I mean, Baby the Mandalorian Yoda. is so good. So Incredible. maybe that's why. But I feel like I always, people will say, like, are you a Star Wars fan? I go, yeah, like a huge fan. And people go, oh, really? And then they kind of, everyone takes it as a bit of a challenge. Like, well, I'm not like you. a huge fan. <laughs> like, there's, you know, like local bars or things like that will put on like Star Wars trivia night. And yeah. I always, and I always think I would love to participate, but I would get stomped. And I <laughs> yeah. think I'd be pretty good, but I wouldn't. I would have no idea at all. I'm not on that level either. Yeah. If they were like, wh- wh- which, which trilogy lines up into, you know, four, five, six, and then it goes to one, and I'd be like, I don't know. Do you know, know that this character was related yeah, to? I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. But a happy Star Wars Day to everybody that's celebrating. It reminds me, I don't know what my mind, autom- we didn't plan to talk about this. My mind automatically goes to to the city of Lethbridge, which is probably trying to move on from this. You remember that, though? There was like the, the cantina-themed yeah. pub in Lethbridge. Yeah. And one of the st- it's like I mean, it's like, it's so funny, but it's not funny at all mm-hmm. if you were that person or, for that matter, the chief of police in Lethbridge at the time. Mm-hmm. But you remember one of the servers at the cantina-themed pub was dressed in a stormtrooper outfit on May 4th? Yeah. This has to have been, what, four or five years ago? or something like that and uh the cops if i remember correctly didn't they end up sort of like taking them down at gunpoint like in front and the person's yelling like i have a hard time getting down in the stormtrooper costume (laughs) cut me some slack and it ended up being because they had like a plastic gun or something bit of a black eye on the lethbridge police service (laughs) anyway lethbridge is like did you really the show is uh 120 seconds old and you already got to be dragging us (laughs) in the lethbridge probably every may the fourth goes oh somebody's gonna bring this up but uh congratulations to everybody celebrating we hope you have a great day and uh and have a little fun fun with it you know life's all about finding those balances we have a great show in store including ray parker jr who's going to be joining us with filmmaker fran strine coming up in about 35 minutes from right now and uh, ray parker jr the star the feature the focus of fran's documentary who you gonna call it's the opening night feature at northwest fest coming up this Friday, which we're really excited to be the presenting sponsor for Real Talk is uh, Canada's longest-running documentary film festival. Ray Parker Jr.'s life story is phenomenal. He is, obviously, the guy who gave the world the Ghostbusters theme song. Typecast. But, yeah, yeah. like we talked about the other day. And, yeah. and we'll ask him, because typecast is a heavy word. We'll ask him if you... Be, I, I don't want to get too into the film right now. I want to let, let him lay it out. Sure. But but we were talking yesterday about Bobby McFerrin, mm-hmm. and Don't Worry, Be Happy, but how Bobby McFerrin has this brilliant... And Don't Worry, Be Happy is part of it, and probably paid for a good part of his, his uh, you know, the lifestyle that he's enjoyed. And, and Ray Parker Jr. would say the same thing and does say the same thing in the film, Who You Gonna Call?, but when you hear of certain artists, you think about them, you hear their name, you think of one song yeah. or one moment through their history. And Ray Parker's Jr.'s his career. So much more than that. Phenomenal. Singer, songwriter, producer. Like The guy's 17 years old. 
His parents want, we'll ask him about this. His parents want him to go to college. They wanted him to be the first college graduate in the family, right? Yeah. And he, he feels strongly that he's got to pursue a career in music because there are opportunities in front of him. Things are happening. Sure. So he steps away from that college dream. He says he breaks his dad's heart in the process. He's 17, turning 18 years old. He's on the road touring with Stevie Wonder and the Rolling Stones. Insane. Like 18 years old. This guy's on stage with Mick Jagger, Stevie Wonder, you know, saying, saying, I've never experienced anything like this before in my life. Just an amazing story. And coming up in just a few minutes, uh, what developed into a Real Talk Roundtable. Typically, you know, Fridays we bring you our Real Talk Roundtable, and we will a couple of days from now talking about innovation. We're looking forward to our innovation Real Talk Roundtable. And circle your calendars in two Fridays from now on the 13th. We'll be welcoming the strategists back to the show. That's going to be great. But today's Real Talk Roundtable uh, will focus on access to abortion in Canada. Everybody's talking about this story that that was broken, uh, the exclusive from Politico. We talked about it yesterday out of the gates on the show. Uh, Politico reporting a couple of days ago that the Supreme Court in the United States has voted to overturn abortion rights. This draft opinion shows it was it was, you know, people are taking issue with the word leaked and that's fine. Uh, it was leaked. It was provided to uh, Politico by a whistleblower, essentially, that knew that the American people and people around the world would be extremely interested in knowing where the nation's highest court is moving on Roe v. Wade. But this is a show proudly based out of Canada. We are Canadians. As we'll show you in just a second, some politicians in particular are suggesting that everybody should just chill out about the Supreme Court's decision in the U.S. This is Canada. It doesn't impact us. We thought if we're doing our job, we'd better ask a couple of people that are in this realm, that work in this area. And so we'll be joined by Joyce Arthur, Megan Doherty, and Robin Schwartz. And I'll introduce you to the three of them in just a second. This show happens because of amazing sponsors like the team at Bitcoin Well that each and every day show up here to make sure that we're able to bring you the real talk that you expect. And you've heard CEO Adam O'Brien on this show before. He welcomes real talk about Bitcoin, too. He knows that not everybody understands it. Not everybody is down with the idea. Not everybody sees Bitcoin as a part of their future plan. But if you ask the questions that matter, do you have the answers that would be satisfactory? Bitcoin Well welcomes them all. I recommend you ask for Benny when you book your appointment under the Sponsors tab. Look for Bitcoin Well at RyanJesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Want to let you know we'll also be getting into the results today from our most recent Get Real question of the week. We asked you about Alberta politics this time around. And what do you make of what's happening with Premier Jason Kenney's leadership review? Hundreds of you chimed in. We appreciate that. And we'll be sharing with you what the consensus opinions were on that. Plus, of course, we'll take you out to Jasper today, part of my Jasper memories. This is the story that everybody's talking about. I mean, literally around the world after this uh, explosive report an exclusive from Politico. You can read it at Politico.com. Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights. It prompted responses uh, from it seemed virtually everybody, including elected elected representatives. This is what the prime minister of Canada had to say yesterday. This was uh, the right honorable Justin Trudeau tweeting uh, to his six million followers or so a message uh, to Canadians about how this applied to Canadian legislation and how this applied to the right to choose, says the prime minister. The right to choose is a woman's right and a woman's right alone. Every woman in Canada has a right 
to a safe and legal abortion. We'll never back down from protecting and promoting women's rights in Canada and around the world. That from the Prime Minister of Canada. Now, rumor has it that conservative MPs were gag-ordered yesterday by uh, the party's interim leader, Candace Bergen, that they were ordered to not make statements on this. Who knows if it's true or not, but one prominent MP out of Calgary, Michelle Rempel-Garner, had this to say anyway. Uh, this is Michelle Rempel-Garner yesterday to my two American stepdaughters. You know her husband is American. Uh, she says, your father and I firmly support you in fighting for your equality and right to safely manage your reproductive health. We love you so much. I will always and have always fought for the same for the women I represent in Canada. So Michelle Rempel-Garner leaving no question about where she lands on this and issuing a statement there. The subject also came up in Alberta's legislature yesterday when the leader of the official opposition, former Premier Rachel Notley, wanted to get Premier Jason Kenney on the record. And here's how that exchange went down yesterday. Speaker, Albertans woke up today deeply concerned over the news that the U.S. Supreme Court may overturn Roe versus Wade. I'm one of those people, as are all of my colleagues. The landmark decision to legalize abortion was a victory for all women. Now it's under threat. Our bodies, our rights, our choice must be protected. Mr. Speaker, I am hoping the Premier can stand today and reaffirm to those concerned Albertans our commitment to a woman's right to choose. Will he join me in condemning this attack on reproductive rights in North America? The Honourable Premier. The Leader of the Opposition is asking about a a potential decision in a uh, foreign court in another country. Uh, Mr. Speaker, that is for the American legal and and political system. Uh, There has been no change of policy with respect to that uh, procedure in Alberta, and none has been proposed. Okay, so that was Alberta's premier yesterday. Uh, Obviously, the answer, I think, unsatisfactory to a lot of people that were expecting more, but but no surprise. I mean, if you look at Jason Kenney's personal history when it comes to his anti-abortion activism, most especially as a college student, but moving all the way through, you can understand why some people wanted to hear what he had to say about this. That's just in our little pocket of the world. Let's talk to three Canadians who have been keeping an eye on this story long before Politico's report surfaced. Joyce Arthur is the founder and executive director of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. It protects the legal right to abortion on request. Before founding the Abortion Rights Coalition, uh, Joyce ran the Pro-Choice Action Network in British Columbia for a decade. Megan Doherty is the Director of Global Policy and Advocacy at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. She's got more than 20 years experience advocating for abortion rights in Canada, in Ireland and in the United Nations. Uh, Megan's joining us this morning from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And Robin Schwartz is an academic and a community organizer located, coming to us this morning from southwestern Ontario. Uh, She holds a doctorate in Canadian history, a master's in Canada-American relations from Western University, which is certainly interesting in applicable uh, nature to this conversation. Uh, Reproductive justice guides Robin's writing research and campaign interests. To the three of you, thank you so much for being here. Joyce, let's start with you. People are saying, okay, uh, this is a shocking story or a shocking development, or maybe not so much if you've been paying attention to the Supreme Court and trends in the United States. But but does this actually apply to Canada? Or are we just keeping an eye on our American neighbors and, and talking about it like humans are wont to do? What do you think? I think it does apply in several ways. Like, first of all, it's created this uh, huge media storm. There's a lot of public outrage, not just down in the U.S., but in Canada and around the world, I should say. And it could affect us in in other various ways. I mean, legally, our systems are very different, so I wouldn't expect it's going to affect our laws at all. But uh, it might affect access. Like, for example, people talk about American women coming up here for abortions. 
And, um, you know, our clinics are like smaller, they don't have the capacity, they wouldn't be able to handle a huge influx of Americans. And it's not that easy anyway for Americans to come up, they need a passport, they need to complete the procedure, they need to cover travel expenses. So it's not really an answer, but it could put pressure on our clinics and that could be a problem. And I worry too about the rest of the world because I've been Canada as well, because this kind of um, decision in the US, if it actually happens, can really embolden the anti-choice movements across uh, the world. Uh, yeah, Megan, I mean, uh, Joyce touches on something there. That's the momentum here. It's the message that it sends, which is probably a big reason why this is resonating so strongly with so many people. How are you wrapping your mind around what you're seeing? So I, I think like like all of us here today, we were pretty devastated to to read the the draft decision that came out. And what we were thinking about at Action Canada is how this is going to impact people differently in the United States and in Canada. So we know for the most part, when abortion becomes restricted, it doesn't stop abortions. What it does is causes more harm to, to people who have the least access to services in the first place. So that includes people on low incomes, young people, migrants. Um, and so when we're thinking about that in the context of Canada, what we really want to be focusing on here is how do we improve the access uh, to abortion in Canada? Uh, so as Joy said, our legal and policy context is very different, but we still have issues of access that we need to address. And we need to be calling out the anti-choice organizations and movements that are coordinating uh, transnationally, are funded transnationally, and, and we are also concerned that they will be emboldened by, by these, um, these developments in the United States. And, and those, those organizations uh, cannot be allowed to uh, infiltrate in, in more into the public discourse here in Canada. Robin, do you see that happening? I mean, I know that you keep an eye uh, out on, on developments outside of Canada and then on developments uh, within Canada as well. The use of the word emboldened, I think, applies here. What are you observing on Canadian soil, so to speak? Yeah, uh, so I'm definitely speaking kind of from a different perspective than Megan and Joyce in that I am an on-the-ground activist. Like, I don't get paid to do this work. Um, I actually work for another nonprofit in mental health services, um, and I will say just for folks, as I'm talking here, I have ADHD and my symptoms are absolutely terrible right now because it's May the 4th that I'm a Star Wars fan and an election's starting that I've been working towards for four years. And then this happened. And so if I seem a little laugh there today, that's why. Robin, um, can, I, can I say that that just sounds like real life to me? That you, It sounds like you're coming to the table like everybody else is with a million things going on right now. And you're trying to create the space in your brain, it sounds like to dedicate some thought and, and, and even some opinion to this, but but this is just part of real life, the way things go. It is, yeah. And so for me, I've been doing this work in uh, Waterloo Region and London, Ontario for the last couple of years, which have both been uh, really on the ground sites because we've been directly targeted by anti-choice activists. Um, Jonathan, Van Mar uh, Jonathan Van Maren, who is the communications director of the Canadian Centre for Biological Reform, and is one of the worst anti-choice offenders in Canada and has been saying some of the anti-trans stuff we're now hearing for years. I've been following him. I've been going undercover. Um, and I will say, I, I just sort of as, as a second thought here of things that were swirling in my head as I was listening to Joyce and Megan talk. Um, for me, I come at this as someone who has never lived in a Canada where abortion was illegal. I am 33 and I was born in 1989. 
the year after the Morgenthaler decision in a hospital in Kelowna, BC, that is still protested every single Tuesday by people in my own community. So I grew up being told, oh, this is okay, in both senses, that both of these things could exist. And I can, I'm here to tell you they can't, and that I am evidence and proof of that because I spent my whole life kind of wondering why this was the case. And that's why I've gone through all of this education journey and why I do this in my spare time between trying to get mental health funding for my community as well, because we, I don't think we're doing it right in Canada. And I'm really concerned based on the things that I've seen happen in the U.S. in the last 30 years where white feminists in particular have failed to center and, and prioritize the voices of people of color, of marginalized communities, of people with disabilities, neurodivergency. And I even look at with this panel today, my first thought was, oh, I agreed to be on an all white panel and that's a problem. I shouldn't have done that. Um, and I think about someone uh, who I care very much about but doesn't know I care about her and that's Nahani Fontaine who is a indigenous woman who's an MLA in Manitoba who has been sounding the alarm on these things in that province for years and has gotten very little support from the people on this screen. And so it is very important, I think, and this is uh, where my my hero and activist and, and someone I hope to one day call a friend, Loretta Ross talks, who is the founder and creator of Reproductive Justice. She is working on this new framework called Calling In the Call Out Culture because what we're doing isn't working and it is emboldening them. It's making it worse. And we need to figure out something before we end up in 1935. And that's me coming at this also as someone who has a PhD in Canadian history, who understands social movements, and is making these big connections, sitting at my desk at Western wondering why I'm being harassed by other students. Like, that's why I'm here. And I, I think that it's just very important we're having this conversation. So thank you, Ryan. Genuinely. Yeah, no, you got it. And I appreciate your candor. Uh, absolutely, Robin. Jo Joyce, uh, Megan, did either of you want to respond specifically to anything that Robin said before we move on? I'd just like to say that, I mean, ARC actually does work with uh, Nahani Fontaine in, in, in Olympic, uh, and we do have a diverse membership, a diverse board. So that's, that's uh, as I want to say something in respect of that uh, in terms of uh, uh, Ryan uh, showed at the top uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's comment about the woman's right to choose, only a woman's right to choose. That's actually not true. It's, it's also transgender people who need abortions as well. And we try to be very trans-inclusive in our work. Um, so, uh, and coming to, you know, just talking about what the leaders are doing. It's good to see the leaders speak out, you know, against the, what's happening in the U.S., which is a terrible tragedy. And, um, but we need a lot more than that. There are some serious access problems here in Canada we need to address. And, uh, you know, the Liberals made some promises in the last election, which are, you know, I don't know, they're kind of dragging their feet. We'd like to see more action, faster action. Uh, they could do things like uh, push the provinces to uh, provide more uh, abortion care and more sexual health care, for example, by increasing the health fund transfer to the provinces, uh, attaching strings, you know, asking them to put the, to implement uh, sexual reproductive health programs. Uh, they can uh, really enforce the Canada Health Act better than what they're doing. Make sure that uh, abortions are funded in uh, New Brunswick, which the province currently does not fund abortions at clinics, and also Ontario, some of the clinics are not fully funded. There's so much that the federal government can do and the provincial governments as well to 
process. Megan, you've, uh, as mentioned, when we introduce you, uh, you've got, you know, two decades of experience advocating for abortion rights in Canada, in Ireland, at the United Nations. You've got a lot of experience um, in, in taking a look at jurisdictions and, and, and what's made available or what's funded, uh, what's legal, what's not, different options that women pursue. Some of them obviously extremely troubling in the context of the health implications, the safety implications. I think one of the most obvious assertions that have been made by people over the, over the past 48 hours, but it's an important one, is that uh, you know abortion law uh, or, or, or developments like we're seeing in the United States doesn't stop abortion. It just limits access to safe abortions, which is a point that's really important here to make. What do you think, Megan, based on your experience here uh, in advocacy, what typically stands in the way of improved access to these health services for women? Is, is it just the politically supercharged nature of it? Is it something else? Is it the pushback consistently that politicians see? So I think it's a it's a range of different things. But before I get there, I just also want to make a point about sort of the developments in the science and, and the medicine of access to abortion uh, over the last 20 years. And that with medical abortion, um, that it's possible to have a safe but not legal abortion. Um, and we see that in, in lots of other countries around the world where abortion may be restricted, that there are safe ways, but they are uh, legally restricted. That's not the ideal scenario because what you are effectively doing is criminalizing women. But I think that it's important that we emphasize uh, that that advancement in medicine. That is also not to discount the impact that unsafe abortion uh, does have on on women all around the world, and it does have deadly consequences. But there are distinctions and nuances to that that I think it's really important that we that we emphasize. And then in thinking about you know, your, your question about what is standing in the way, well, I think it speaks to uh, what Robin was, was mentioning. Um, it's, it's not necessarily the, political, the politically charged environment um, that, that we often maybe associate with abortion. It's about economic justice. It's about racial justice. It is about access to comprehensive sexuality education. It is about our human rights. And so, you know, when we're talking about abortion, it, it's, it's part of this, this wider uh, structural and systemic um, forms of discrimination that people experience. And that when we see that there are disparities in access, it's because of these reasons. And it's also related to uh, how we're funding our health system, the priorities that we place on uh, what's important in our society. Do we think that access to sexual and reproductive health and rights is important in our society? And if we do, which our politicians, many of whom are in power are saying that they do, then we have to back that up by actually prioritizing it within the list of priorities at the federal, at the provincial and at the local level. And so, you know, often the work of advocacy um, is quite boring because you're really looking at the details in terms of what it is that is required to make something better. And it's, you know, the, the political, you know, one-liners within the, you know, the parliament and, and, and sound bites, you know, those are handy for getting attention, but the hard work of actually you know, building access and, and working with communities, finding out what the barriers are, working together to propose solutions. That is painstaking, long-term, and the most important work that we can do. 
And so I, I really would like to emphasize that, you know, the, the layer of politics that are associated with abortion, you know, that's not really where the attention needs to be. Like, let's focus on the people who are doing the really hard work of helping people and supporting people to claim their rights and, and access to the healthcare that they need, that they deserve, and they have a right to. Yeah, I mean, it, it, is, it, is it fair to say that you uh, would wish that politics uh, could be pulled out of this, but that's almost an impossibility in matters like this? I mean, it's like asking for politics to, I'm, I'm not comparing the scenarios, but just as another potentially divisive or contentious issue and an, and, a, and an extremely important issue would be harm reduction in Canada and supervised consumption in Canada. And, and, and you would love to see politics taken out of it. Uh, but at the same time, these are the decision makers when it comes to budgeting and funding and legislation and everything else, those structures. Right. Uh, Robin, you're nodding your head. You want to chime in on that? Yeah, I do. And I want to shout out one of my favorite philosophers, Shannon Day, who wrote an amazing article in a book that I believe Joyce also has something in called Without Apology. It's a edited collection by Shannon Stetner that argues for just that, a harm reduction approach to abortion in Canada. And I actually read that article in the fall of 2016, right before Donald Trump was elected president, when we were told, uh, I was studying history and, and studying American politics too, uh, told that Hillary Clinton was for sure going to win. There was no way this was not going to happen. Absolutely. And then I sat the next morning with every single woman in my department and none of them knew what to say. And that was when I realized we were in really big trouble because all of the people who were I thought were going to be there to protect me and who had been doing the work to save these rights and protect them had no idea how to handle something like Donald Trump, no idea how to handle something like the anti-abortion movement in Canada starting right now and electing Sam Oosterhof. And then I was writing articles about him in 2018 and people were telling me I was an extremist in my department. People were literally saying that to me. And so I think that Megan's 100% right that, and I think that the depoliticization like, I don't know, I think that Canadians are really bad at being like, oh, we're not political. Let's just not talk about it. And that's a mm -hmm. part of our like white civil identity in that like we don't like talking about racism. We pretend it's them. It's the other side. Right. That's like what I did my master's on. And so it's just very important, I think, that we as a community and this, I guess, bringing it back to my home community of Kitchener, Ontario, we have one of the worst crisis pregnancy centers in Canada here. They're called the Dawn Center and they just bought an ultrasound. And I have been working on an article on them for two years undercover that will be coming out. And I I they might I, I might have just ruined it, but you know what? I'm gonna say it because <laughs> I've had things before where I I kept it to myself because I was doing the good, hard activist labor. Like Megan said, it takes time. It took us 18 years to make abortion legal here. 18 years of women organizing. We had the best socialist feminist movement in the world in 1988, and it's gone. We need to fix that. And so they, uh, in, and in contrast, we also have Shore Center, which is the best Planned Parenthood in Canada, in my opinion, who has created choiceconnect.ca, which is a free website that people can use to find any provider. And they don't have to call anyone because, sorry, those of us under 30 hate talking on the phone. And those of us who have neurodivergency, 
really hate talking on the phone. And the idea of calling someone and saying, I need help with abortion is the bravest thing you can do. And I want anyone listening to this to know that and know that I love them and that I am so thankful and proud of the work that we do on the access line. I'm one of Megan's volunteers and I've been doing that for four years for free on weekends during my spare time uh, because nothing feels better than when someone calls and you can tell them you're not alone, I know what to do. And sometimes that means sending people to the US, which is uh, the last thing I wanted to just point out that there is a significant access issue in Canada for later term abortions. We know this. Action Canada, ARC, and the Na I will give a shout out to Joyce Art. Uh, oh my God, mixing up names. NAF Canada, um, Jill Doctoroff. Shout out to Jill for all the amazing work you have done in the last couple of years to make abortion accessible for so many people. Thank you. And we will keep pushing. But right now there are people flying to Boulder, Colorado. I have paid for passports myself out of pocket for folks because sometimes you don't know you're pregnant or a really serious thing happens and you need help and that's where we're sending them. And that's not okay. So as a country, we need to fix that because we have a white supremacist state to the south of us and we can either choose to be complicit with them or we can choose to do something and wrap people in love. I, I could just feel the passion coming through my headphones, and I'm so grateful that you're here on the panel today. Uh, Robin, you, you kind of alluded to this, and I'd like to put this back in front of, of Joyce and Megan as well. You, you, you're sort of alluding to, you know, whoever needs to hear this, or if somebody hears this, or if you're listening to this, we know that this podcast is going to find its way uh, to women in particular, that, that uh, where this issue applies very directly. And uh, so I, I feel like it would be remiss, uh, Joyce, if I didn't ask you to start here with, with a message to, to whomever this conversation may reach. What do you think is, is the most important message for somebody to hear that's listening to all of There's a lot of noise around stories like this, and people are trying to boil it down to the most important or key or crucial detail. They can apply it to their own lives. What, what would, in closing, your message be? Well, that's a tall order, uh, but I think, you know, people just need to be aware uh, of their rights so they can never take them for granted. We always have to keep fighting back. And I think, I mean, there was this huge movement, a pro-choice movement back in the you know 70s and 80s. And that is, you know, at least somewhat dissipated now, as Robin mentioned. But I think it is still there. Uh, we can still mobilize people. I've seen it happen in the past when there's the private member bills introduced, for example, in Parliament. So we can go there again. And I think people just need to be more politically uh, active, hopefully, and not be um, you know, apathetic or complacent about our rights, because you never, ever can be. They can be taken away. We saw that, you know, the, the shock of the Donald Trump election and some of the more extreme abortion bans being passed in the U.S. and the effects that that's had on, on people. It's just really, it's just devastating. And uh, it's, it's serious. It's not just about, you know, a, a woman's right to abortion. It's much, much wider than that, as Megan was talking about. Uh, it's about reproductive justice and all the other issues, economic justice. They're all connected. Everything's connected. And if, you know, uh, uh, reproductive rights are taken away, it doesn't affect just, you know, people with uteruses. It affects everyone because they're talking in the U.S. about, you know, they're going after the right to contraception next, uh, gay marriage, maybe even interracial marriage. Because they're all based on the right to privacy. So all these rights are connected and we can't separate them. And we can't just, you know, uh, slot it in as like a narrow women's issue. That doesn't work. It's, it's, it's everyone's issue. We need to get everyone involved and aware and uh, 
uh, fighting for their rights. Yeah, and Joyce, you know, you may have said that two weeks ago, and some people would have said, "Come on, Joyce, you're fear mongering, Joyce. Nobody, nobody's coming after gay marriage. Nobody's coming after interracial marriage, Joyce." And then you've got Alicia, who's watching us live right now on our chat. She says it makes you wonder about any politician during an election who's screamed, you know, that the liberals keep trying to conjure up boogeymen by bringing up the so-called settled issue of abortion. Alicia says it's not so foolish now, is it? Megan, last word to you. Thanks. I I think just building off of uh, the conversation and what Joyce and Robin have saying, um, to get involved uh, with different organizations in your community and whether it's migrant rights, economic justice, the right to housing, sexual and reproductive rights, feminist organizing, all of these things all help to contribute to create an environment in which we can claim our rights and hold the government accountable for our rights in such a way that it cannot be hijacked by by these anti-rights and um, anti Human rights, anti-gender, all of it, you know, the anti-choice movement, right? We need to create the environment that makes those things impossible to take away. And, and we need to support each other in how we do that. That is uh, Megan Doherty, Director, uh, Director of uh, Global Policy and Advocacy at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. Joyce Arthur joining us. And by the way, Joyce, a shout out to you. You woke up early. You're joining us from the West Coast. You deserve a little extra credit, my friend. <laughs> Founder and Executive Director for the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada and Robin Schwartz, uh, who's joining us as well uh, out of uh, southwestern Ontario, uh, an academic and community organizer. And our thanks to all three of them. You can find out more information on what they're doing. Of course, we share the web links to their research and to their organizations on their fonts if you're watching on youtube and you can also follow us on twitter uh, at real talk rj and follow all their twitter handles thanks very much uh, this conversation of course will continue and that includes your takes on this your opinions we want to know where real talkers are at with this and, and how are you wrapping your mind around what you're seeing when it comes to these stories uh this one in particular is resonating around the world it's a big deal, and I think that we underestimate the significance of something like this at, at our own peril. I, I don't think that it is appropriate, and I don't think it's accurate, and I don't think that it's a, a position of sincerity, to say the very least, for politicians to say this is something happening in a foreign court, in a foreign land, and so we're not going to comment on it. Right? That's what Alberta's premier had to say about it yesterday. I saw somebody on our chat. I apologize. I can't reference who you are. It's, it's long since disappeared, but somebody essentially said, oh, so now... So now some politicians, including Alberta's premier, so now they're, they don't want to comment on anything outside of Alberta's borders or outside of Canadian borders. huh? So now they don't want to comment on decisions by foreign courts. So now they don't want to comment on developments stateside and how they might apply to Canada. Isn't that convenient? Talk at RyanJesperson.com is where you can send us an email. Of course, our inbox is open 24 hours a day. Our friends at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food want to put on your radar a couple of things that that they're offering. In addition to the quality raw dog food that they're known for, the food that keeps your pups feeling healthy, their guts looking good, their coats looking amazing. Everybody says to us, our Black Lab Monroe, they say, what do you do to get her coat looking like that? We say it's Grand Dog Essentials. But if you check out their website, granddog.ca, that's where you can place your order for, for weekly to your door delivery. You can also find some of the the other things that they offer, like bovine colostrum. Did you know that environmental allergies can affect your dog, too? Chronic itching, biting at their paws. If this sounds familiar, you may want to look into bovine colostrum. And they've also got a new blog post. You go to granddog.ca, you just click on blog. Why is my dog refusing their food? 
It happens, but you might be surprised at the reasons why. You know, the promo code grand, uh, promo code RealTalk, rather, at granddog.ca gets you 10% off your first-time order with weekly delivery to Metro Calgary and Edmonton areas. They're passing through Red Deer, too, and they can drop off at your door. Our friends at Kubi Energy, you can find them online at kubienergy.ca, want us to remind you that they are always hiring. They're not some big, boring corporation where you're a cog in the machine. You're just an employee number. Uh Uh-uh. You make a direct impact to the company as you help bring clean energy development to Canada. Plus, kind of a neat development as they look to attract the best and the brightest installers, sales. I mean, it's a big company that's always growing. They offer a Bitcoin investment savings plan. How cool is that? A tool and boot allowance, employee referral programs, and a lot of other things that you can opt into if you're an employee at Kubi Energy. Athabasca University is Canada's online university with world-class accredited online programs and courses. We're going to be checking in with some experts from Athabasca University in the days and weeks to come to reiterate to you how much of a research center that is, a research hub across the country. Canadians are also tapping into not just the the micro courses and and, and the programs, but also the full-blown degree programs. You can turn your life around today, maybe Strap yourself in, buckle up for an advancement in your career with new learnings from your time on your pace at AthabascaU.ca. Eden Landscaping, this is the biggest and the most exciting time of year for them because it means they're blowing the dust off their shovels, they're getting the boots out, they're firing up the machines, and they're getting set to bring outdoor spaces to life. But over the 20 years or so that they've been family-owned and operating, there have been trends that have come and gone, their goal is to always stay ahead of them. And that includes their urban butterfly yard approach. This is a very cool new initiative that more and more of their customers are asking about. It helps out the pollinators, you know, the bees, basically. And of course, also celebrate some of the native grasses and plants that you might have found many years ago in your neck of the woods. Eden Landscaping's tapping into all that. You can check out their portfolio and contact them for a quote at landscapeedmonton.ca. Not surprised to see a lot of engagement on our live chat following our conversation there with Robin Schwartz, with Joyce Arthur, and with Megan Doherty. And my thanks to the three of them for joining us. Uh, Stephanie says what's happening in the U.S. will absolutely affect us in Canada because of the conservative movement across provinces. Meantime, Hawes says, well, as long as our Supreme Court remains left-leaning, I'm not too worried. Jillian says, the truth is this will never happen in some provinces in Canada, and it's already happening in others. Brenna says, Jason Kenny ain't no friend of reproductive rights. Ashley says, the fact that this is still a debate makes me rage, says Ashley. Stay out of my uterus others of you are are continuing that conversation online and and i appreciated alicia's comment earlier when you you talked about when alicia talked about fear-mongering so to speak when she talked about the fact that this does tend to a woman's right to choose or access to abortions does come up uh, in canada most especially around election campaigns most especially hurled toward the conservative party of canada regardless of who the leader is you remember aaron o'toole navigating that you remember andrew Shear struggling with that question before 
And of course, now it's relevant during that conservative leadership race. And we know that a lot of reporters will be chomping at the bit to speak to, in particular, I think on this one, Pierre Polyev. You saw some of the lesser known conservative leadership candidates yesterday coming out with statements reiterating their support for women's rights to health access. It's a story we'll continue to cover. And of course, we will continue to ask for your takes on this as you help us guide the editorial process of this show. We're really excited to be the opening night presenting sponsor at this year's edition of Northwest Fest. Who are you going to call is opening up this year's edition of Canada's longest running documentary film festival. The screening goes live at Metro Cinema this Friday at 7 o'clock. It celebrates the remarkable career of Ray Parker Jr. Here's a quick look. I was in Los Angeles doing a new edition. I'm having lunch at Spago's, and I look up to my left, and there's a poster, black poster, and every time I go to Spago's for lunch, they're putting some paint and something else on. I'm like, the heck is this black poster up here? There's nothing on it except black. Next thing I know, they put like a red part of a circle, and I couldn't figure out what's going on. My telephone rings, and it's Gary LaMail, and he said, you know, I got this one film that we really need a song for. We're out of time. It's got to happen like really, really fast. It's called... Ghostbusters. Yeah, that's right. Ray Parker Jr. is the genius that brought the world the Ghostbusters theme song, but he is so much more than that. As his story is told in Who You're Gonna Call, it's a film put together by the great Fran Strine, who also joins us live this morning. Uh, gentlemen, to the both of you, welcome to Real Talk. We're very excited, if I can speak on behalf of my fellow Edmontonians, to welcome you to our home city on Friday for this screening. Ray, did you did you always feel, uh, when it came to this story, like there was, there was a documentary feature just waiting, the remarkable nature of not just how this song and this project came together, but everything in your life that led to that opportunity? Uh, believe it or not, no, I never really considered it. In fact, I, I got to tell you, I'm getting old too fast. I mean, <laughs> I'm starting to hear about all these things that you're just like, when did I do that? You know, I was, I guess I was busy doing it and not thinking about it. <laughs> well, absolutely amazing. I had a chance to check out the film ahead of time and, and, and your story. Uh, my producer, Johnny, and I were talking about this before the two of you joined us. I mean, your, your, your stardom launched relatively early in life uh, you talk in the film about how you know your parents really wanted you to go to college but you're 17 going on 18 years old and you're already sharing a stage on tour with stevie wonder mick jagger the rolling stones absolutely wild stuff as a teenager probably tough to have the context at the time but did you realize something special was already happening now that i did i did realize something special was already happening and because uh, I come from Detroit, Michigan, which is an automobile town. So everybody else I knew was trying to work in an automobile factory. And I wasn't even close to that. It just wasn't your style, hey? You, you, you just weren't feeling it. You felt a calling to something different. Yeah, I want to play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, amazing stuff. And and the film shows how you've carried on that passion and how you continue to to put those opportunities in front of young people, the next generation of singer-songwriters, which is a really special part of the project. Fran, what was it uh, about Ray's career? What was it uh, about that song, maybe that iconic song? What was it that put this on your radar? And not just as, as, as a story when you went, isn't that cool, but a story where you said, I want to dedicate time and resources and my own talents to telling this story in documentary film. Right. So you have to remember, uh, 
previous to who you're going to call, I did a film called Hired Gun, which featured session and touring musicians. And I brought Ray with me all around the world. He was featured in that movie for a little bit to promote the film. And we had a flight to Australia, you know, 16 hours from Los Angeles. So he starts telling me more of his, his life story. And right then and there, I knew that this was going to be the next film I was going to make. And I hit the ground running as soon as I got back to the States. And uh, we're happy to share it on, on Friday night. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. And, and we're in a few minutes going to let our audience know how they can earn their way into that theater on Friday night. We're very much looking forward to to having a packed house there. Ray, you know, you you start your story or at least Fran does the way that the, the film unfolds talking about Detroit at the time that you were a young man growing up. And, and you talk about being with your dad, being out with your dad and you're walking somewhere and your dad heals around. He turns around. And you you ask, why are we changing direction? He says, well, because there's a riot. And ultimately, oh, yeah. the reality it, of that unrest got pretty personal to you at times. Oh, yeah. That was really, really crazy. And I'll never forget that day. We were going on fish. We may be having a connection issue with Ray. We'll hope that that'll sort itself out. Fran, let me ask you, in putting that story together, obviously those experiences that Ray and his family had uh, in urban Detroit, right around that time, a time of great civil unrest, went a long way in, in shaping his talents and shaping his, his world perspective. What was that like for you as a filmmaker to start to better understand that part of his history? You know, uh, early on, I knew that we, we must make a trip to Detroit to, to go investigate that that part of his life. And we did. And I'm so glad that we did, because it, it really, I think, brings home the message of why he's such a great guitar player. Because instead of going out playing sports and basketball and football with his friends, he was in his house scared, you know, to get beat uh, and got his 10,000 hours of guitar playing in and learned from some of the greats, you know, uh, as sad as that is, but it's the truth. And when we were there, you know, I've known Ray a long time now and he's a really happy, positive guy. But as soon as he starts talking about that, that, uh, that era, uh, you can see it in his face, especially in the film, you know, it's, it's pretty sad and yeah. Yeah, Ray, you, you, Fran just mentioned it, and we're good, good to have you back here, but Fran mentioned those 10,000 hours when you're at home by oh, yourself. Yeah. You'd, you'd experienced violence at the hands of police officers. You detail that in, in the film, but you didn't let it break your spirit. Uh, music became something very special for you, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, music was my way out, I think. I mean, music was my way out mentally and my way to deal with everything. So when it when it comes time to, I mean, you're on the road and you have an opportunity to tour with Stevie Wonder. You're touring with the Rolling Stones. You end up working, I mean, like Barry White. You had a, a major role, and I don't, I kind of don't want to spoil the whole film. People need to see it for themselves. <laughs> but you're working with Bill Withers. You're working with literally the biggest names in music at the time. But you felt this. I mean, you you know, you were regarded by many as the world's best rhythm guitar player, and uh, you were certainly having a lot of input in the creative process of these artists. But you still felt like this needed to be the Ray Parker Jr. show. At, at what point did you realize you no longer wanted to be a session musician? Uh, about 21 years old when my mother told me she didn't know what the heck I was doing. She didn't really understand what it was that I was doing. So I wanted to get my picture on the cover. What's that song? I keep getting richer, but I can't get my picture on the cover of the Rolling Stone. I always like that. 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding. So this opportunity comes up uh, for you to write this iconic song. I mean, the song that would essentially, I mean, your career trajectory was already su- impressive and, and you had contributed to albums uh, that had sold millions, tens of millions of, of copies, but you get this phone call on a shortened time frame uh, to put together a song for a film that at the time maybe you didn't know much about, Ghostbusters. When did you know that this would become a life-transforming experience or opportunity for you? After it did. Wow. <laughs> no one knew ahead of time. We were clueless. Fran, why do you think that that song resonated like it did? I mean, part of it obviously had to do with the success of the film, but still, uh, it was the top song of ni- of the year 1984. I mean, it was number one globally that doesn't happen with the theme song for every successful film what was it that set ray's piece apart who are you going to call you know if you listen to the song and really break it down and i didn't think about this until i interviewed the legendary holland dozier holland but uh brian holland told me he goes man if you listen to ghostbusters it's got about 50 different hooks in it you know from the opening uh the, the drum beat the lyric the call and response. And he's right. You know, I sat down and analyzed and I'm like, man, you know, the, 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 the saxophone section, just the, you know, the, the guitar lick, just everything just, uh, hits you all at once. And it was just this, uh, I don't know, it's in a pantheon of, of theme songs and, uh, did really well. I got to tell you when, uh, I interviewed Ivan, the, the late Ivan Reitman, he told me as soon as he heard, it, he goes, this, this is a hit, you know, he knew right away. Yeah, but, but you know the the funny thing is Clive Davis. I don't think really thought it was a hit, right, Ray? Yeah, no, not in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, by the way, Clive Davis in the film still just Captain Cool. I can't even believe it. Oh, yeah. It's so cool to have Ivan Reitman and Clive Davis. You got Stevie Wonder, and you got all of these. I mean, these people. It's just a really remarkable story. But Ray, you know what? Honestly, one of my one of my favorite parts of the film is when you're in the school. It looks to me like about junior high school aged and you're with these kids in the room. And oh, that's one of my favorites. Too. Yeah. Can, can, can you talk about the next generation of artists and, and, and you explain to them how your setup was different than theirs. I mean, you walk into their band room or you walk into their music room and, and, and you're yeah. in awe of what's in there and the resources that they have. But, but what do you see with today's youth uh, in the context of, of 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 what you think fosters or stimulates musical genius, yeah, we had clarinets and flutes. They got guitars and bass, <laughs> drum sets now. And what's even more amazing is the teachers are letting them play modern music, which I think is way more interesting if you learn how to play than just playing the old classics from overseas. So I think the kids today they show a lot of promise and. Uh, Every time everybody thinks that the ball game is over and music is going down the tubes, then you hear exciting kids like that learning to play new things. And you know that there is some hope for the world. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Fran, in closing, you know, you, you, I was, uh, I'm interested to pick the brain of, of storytellers, you know, of people that have put films together telling the story of someone else. What's something that you learned about Ray through the course of putting this film together that you didn't know before? What's one thing that's stuck with you to this day? What's the first thing that comes to mind? I got to tell you, man, it was uh, of all the stuff we talked about on the on the, the flight to Australia. The one thing he failed to mention was that he played on Bill Withers' Lovely Day. And I didn't know until we were at his house one day and the door knocks and there is Bill Withers. And I couldn't have been you guys would just slap me across the face. 
when I opened the door and there's Bill Weather standing there at the, at the studio door, you know, with Jeffrey Osborne and uh, what's the keyboard player, Ray? That play- Rick. Yeah, it, it, it was shocking. And then Bill Weathers just the, the coolest dude on the planet and had the strongest handshake I've ever felt in my life. Just a great dude, and there, you know. And uh, he gives life lessons, you know, to raise kids. And just, he was just a wonderful human being. That, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, I, I have so many things I want to talk to you about the film, uh, but I, I kind of don't want to spoil it because a lot of the things I want to bring up uh, contribute to the story arc. And so what we'll do, uh, I'm really excited to be able to be hosting this event on Friday night at Metro Cinema. So Fran and Ray, you and I are, are both going to get to hang out along with the audience. We're going to screen that film opening night at Northwest Fest opening night. That's Friday at seven o'clock. And then we'll have a Q&A after and uh, we'll be able to dig a little bit deeper into this. Very much looking forward to it. I have to let the two of you go uh number one ray's connection is uh interrupted right now it's a good thing that he froze on a beautiful smile so there you go <laughs> and uh and fred i know both of you've got to get on a flight and so we're going to cut you loose for now but we're excited to have you coming to edmonton thanks for making time for us thanks for having us yeah you better that's filmmaker fran strine and ray parker jr um i'm, I'm looking forward to the in-person stuff this is why we love in-person stuff because the connections don't get interrupted that's what i love to hear bill withers like come oh, on, man! I mean, he, I don't. He just comes to your house. Bill, a lovely day. He well, sang on the song. That's that's crazy. Well, it's and and I don't want to. I, I I keep saying this. I don't want to wreck the film. But I didn't know I any wanna, of that. It, so Stevie Wonder calls him, and this the whole story is in the film. So so he, and it was this classic story. You've heard the story a million times from people who are about to get their big break. Although he already kind of had his. He'd already had big breaks. Ray had sure, like he he was all over everybody's radar when he's like fifteen years old. He's he's a session musician. He's recording on albums. Uh, he was in high demand as like a fifteen, sixteen year old. People are going, mm-hmm. "There's just something different about this kid and the way he plays guitar." Uh, but he's a young man, and he gets a phone call from Stevie Wonder, and he's like, "Yeah, right." I mean, you, you've heard this right, so he <laughs> right. hangs up on him, and then and then the phone rings again. And uh, he's talking he, the same voice, and he goes, "Hey, it's no, it's it's Stevie Wonder, and I want to." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." And then and then he just hears him picking away. He hears him, <laughs> and he and the, the opening to Superstition. No. And he goes, "Oh my God, I did. I hung up on Stevie Wonder." <laughs> And Stevie Wonder says, you know, you don't hang up on me twice. <laughs> and anyway, so amazing stories. Uh, we're going to be telling them. Uh, we'll get him to tell them on Friday night. Again, we're proud opening night presenting sponsors of Northwest Fest. It's Canada's longest running documentary film festival. You can get more details on all the t- I mean, the lineup, like some amazing, amazing films coming up on the fringe. That's closing night on May 14th, celebrating Canada's love affair with fringe festivals. Uh, this much I know to be true. A documentary that goes on May 11th uh, for big fans of Nick Cave to see the process of creating an album Kaepernick and America the the story the intersection of Colin Kaepernick's anthem protests and the reactions that they spurred in the United States and beyond that's May 12th uh, May 7th the long rider the story of Felipe Light an aspiring journalist who left his adopted home of Canada to ride from Calgary to his family's home in Brazil on horseback the long rider i mean these are just some selections there's a whole bunch of them at northwestfest.ca we have some tickets to give away for real talkers that would like to join us friday night to check out who you're going to call to qualify to win all you have to do is send us an email right now to talk at ryanjesperson.com we have five pairs of tickets to give away talk at ryanjesperson.com send us a quick note and reference that you'd like to be entered to win two tickets to friday night screening at metro cinema
Coming up in just a second, we'll dig into the results of our most recent question of the week. This is presented by our friends at Y Station, our official research and strategy partners. But before we get to that, I want to talk to the families that right now qualify in that sandwich generation. You hear this people talking about it a lot. You're, you're maybe from sort of like 35 to 55 years old right okay. now. You're looking out for your parents. You're looking out for your kids at the same time. And you know that there are resources in place. You're sure you've heard about them, these home care resources where you can take all that worry, you can take that sort of cloud that sits above your head wondering if mom or dad or auntie or uncle are getting the care they need, getting their meds, eating their food. Is the place clean? Do they have clean laundry? I mean, these are just real-life questions for people you care about. Infinity Healthcare does this on a daily basis with the most reputable, reliable, credible caregivers you're going to find. Infinity Healthcare also always hiring. If you are a caregiver looking for work, your journey could lead you to Infinity Healthcare. All you're going to do right now is check out the Sponsors tab on our website or infinity-8.ca. Career Opportunities is the drop-down menu you're looking for. And of course, their personality matching service, a great resource for families that want to have confidence in their home care. Our friends at Friesen Brothers are getting excited about the season to grill. That's right, tis the season. And I'd like to personally recommend the Friesen Brothers barbecue sauce. It could be, it could be the world's best. You can find out more details at Friesen.com or go check it out in store. They've got the original, the hickory, the chicken and rib, and the honey garlic. You're smirking like you feel like that's a bold claim on my part. I'm going on Sunday. Because this is this is a this is a tall order. Have you tried that? Like when, they, when they when they stamp their name on their barbecue sauce, you know it's going to be good, right? I tried the hickory a while ago, the original, still my personal favorite. I'm just an OG guy. The Friesen <laughs> Brothers original barbecue sauce could be the world's best, and you'll find it at Friesen Brothers, 16 locations across the province of Alberta. Friesen Brothers, uh, yeah, I do happen to know. I do happen to know that they're big on community. They talk about it all the time. Mm. And you know who else is big on that? Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. I talked to them about what do you want the real talkers to focus on? What do you want our messaging to focus on? They always talk about relationships. They talk about their return customers. They talk about the fact that their service department knows many of their customers by first name. They've had relationships with some of the families that continue to frequent their shops for years. Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge has your best selection of Dodge, Jeep, including, of course, those Ram 1500s that everybody's buzzing about right now. I'm loving my Longhorn edition. You can browse their inventory online or in person. You'll find them again under the Sponsors tab on our website. Well, every week we ask you to chime in, and hundreds of you do. We appreciate it on our Get Real Question of the Week. It's presented by our official research and strategy partners at Y Station. And this past week, we left it open for a week and a half. We wanted to give you a chance to chime in on the leadership review that Alberta's United Conservative Party is seeing right now, Premier Jason Kenney, his leadership in review. We wanted to ask you where you think it's going, whether or not you have faith in the process, what you think the implications are. And here's what you had to say. Let's take a look, Johnny. 74% of respondents believe that the change to the mail-in ballot structure will give the Premier a major advantage. Three out of four respondents believe that to be true. That's an interesting point. Just 12% of respondents to this survey, more than 600 of you, thought the results of the leadership vote would still be reliable given the last-minute change in format. That number is significantly lower than what I thought it might be. 12% with faith in the process. How about this? Two out of three of you, 67% of respondents agreed 
that if Jason Kenney does not survive the leadership review, the factions of this party, of his United Conservative Party, will tear the party apart before the next election. That's a pretty interesting one. 43% of respondents thought that the Premier would try to call a snap election if he loses the leadership vote. 43% of you. And this is probably the one that I was most eager to see where real talkers would land. The Premier has said on the record, he believes that he needs 50% support plus one. 50% plus one support. We asked you, what do you think that Jason Kenney needs to survive? What's the survivable number as UCP leader? You landed on 60.1%. 60.1%. We asked you then, what do you think he will get? Well, the Premier says he needs 50% plus one in real talkers. Cumulatively, you can't cook this stuff up. I like it. Land at 49.96%. So 0.05% off what he says he needs to stay. Now, we always ask you for final comments. We leave an area blank and we say anything else. And here's what some of you had to say. One of you said, this is the most interesting thing that has happened in Alberta politics in a long, long time. It's fun in the making and it's fun to watch. I don't know if it's the most interesting thing that's happened in a long time in Alberta politics. That's saying a lot, but it certainly is interesting, isn't it? Another one of you said we need collaboration with all levels of government and this divisiveness has no positive. Another one said it really sucks to care about Alberta right now, to have skin in the game, to have kids to worry about. Our leadership is costing us all so very much. Another one of you said that Albertans are angry and rightfully so. And how about this one? from a real talker that said there will not be a positive outcome for the UCP. No matter the results, the divisions will fracture and split the party and its members. This will open the door for people to rethink voting obligations once again. I think you're right. They say maybe the Alberta party will become an option like the NDP was in 2015. Remember, uh, they're referencing the election lead up to 2015 when the NDP had just four MLAs. They say the NDP has the advantage at the moment, but when people are upset and they've tried the PCs, they've tried the Wild Rose, the NDP and even the United Conservatives, maybe another party can earn enough support to be a difference maker in the legislature. Yeah, the Alberta party fighting like hell. We know that leader Barry Morishita, he's been on the show before traveling all over the province looking to recruit strong candidates. They want 87 of them for the next election. And of course, the donations and the support. You've got to build these strong constituency associations, right? Uh, you don't win an election overnight. It takes, of course, a lot of that ground game. It takes a lot of uh, the less glamorous work behind the scenes. Will that resonate? Remains to be seen. We have a lot of political scientists and experts that are coming on this show, commentators, John, that are telling us, well, they're pretty sure that Alberta right now is a two-party province moving forward. But I know some supporters of the Alberta party would, would beg to differ. So this week's edition of the Real Talk Get Real Question of the Week, we're asking you about Johnny's favorite subject. <laughs> we're asking you about the story that Johnny can't stop talking about. If you go to ryanjesperson.com and you click on Question of the Week, you'll find Tesla and SpaceX owner Elon Musk has made a $44 billion offer to buy Twitter. It's an offer the board has agreed to recommend to shareholders. This has set Twitter ablaze. This week, we want you to sound off on the potential sale and what it means. Mm -hmm. On purpose, we've kept this question of the week quick and punchy, so it takes you like one minute to complete it. I like it. Yeah, we'd love to hear a whole bunch of We'd love to see about a 1,000 of you chime in on this one so we get a good sense of where everybody's at. And you can't get away from it. New stuff every day. Did you, did you see the story? Uh, rumors that yeah. his first two... Uh, Here's the story here that uh, he's made a few decisions. We don't know who, but he's going to have a new CEO. And 
uh, sharing some ideas, uh, exactly what you thought. He's going to try and make some money, monetize some tweets, which uh, will be in the form of, so when you go to a website, Ryan, and you see a tweet embedded, you're going to have to maybe pay for that towards Twitter to use that on a website. So. Well, I don't suspect that he acquired the company without any plans or any aspirations to tweak the monetization model. Yeah. Like billionaires don't typically become billionaires by accident. 100%. But I also <laughs> saw an interesting take on that. I wish I had this in front of me because I can't even credit who it was. I don't even remember who it was. But but somebody was ruminating how, you know, you, you, you'd see, uh, you know, for example, Jeff Bezos, who goes ahead and buys the Washington Post mm -hmm. uh, based on certain principle or based on uh, a business perspective or based on something that he sees that that made him uh, want to add the Washington Post to his business empire. Mm -hmm. And how this scenario, this person had had uh, sort of got the sense that this was a little bit different, that that Elon Musk, uh, if you wanted to use the newspaper model, was more the person that kept writing letters to the editor, <laughs> yeah. but they weren't getting published. They weren't getting printed. 100%. So he just decided to buy the paper. He might be using it as his own uh, personal playground is what I'm afraid of. Which yeah. We don't want to happen. I mean, well, he's been having a lot more fun on Twitter lately, <laughs> Elon the, Musk uh, has, tweets, yeah. which I guess it would probably impact your perspective a little bit when you've just bought the damn thing he's or talking you're about on your buying way to other buying things it. and making other things better coca-cola yeah, he wants to put the cocaine back in coca-cola doritos he wants to fill the bags all the way to the top <laughs> some people <He> to... <laughs> fingers crossed that he might actually be serious about right? it you can't really rule anything out with this guy no you know and i think that's the part where i'm a little bit you know just a little bit fearful it's like one day you open twitter and i don't know i don't know it's yeah gonna be, it's gonna be different i guess we can always walk away that's one of the interesting things about twitter is everybody's treating it as absolutely integral uh that's something you can't just walk yeah. away from but i think that says a lot and i'm probably one of those people uh, twitter's important to our business twitter's important to i think public dialogue it has become that sort of de facto town hall or the town square people keep talking yeah. about these apps get to that point where they're like ingrained in the fabric of our everyday lives and so yeah i don't know if i like just a billionaire run you know he he, <laughs> he puts up fun tweets but i don't know some of them I'm like, eh, these are kind of cheesy. So. Yeah, we'll wait and see. We had we had an interesting roundtable uh, or an interesting panel discussion a few days back on the show um, with the potential pros and cons of an Elon Musk uh, Twitter takeover. And uh, you can uh, let us know what you think about that. Um, Dr. Amy Morrison and Beverly Teresa joined us. Uh, Beverly's a social media strategist. And uh, Amy, um, with her PhD work has been fascinating. She studied kind of social media and how people present themselves online and how social media translates to or reflects folks' identities. Like she's got a really interesting area of study. Mm -hmm. If you missed that, that was one of our shows we did uh, live from Jasper uh, just a few days ago. You can find it on our podcast archives. And of course, you can also find it uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, before we move on, I wanted to let you know that our spots are filling up fast for our first annual. It's our inaugural Real Talk Golf Classic. It goes Thursday, June 23rd. Tee off. Shotgun start at 2 o'clock in support of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. We want you to be there. And so you go to our website, ryanjesperson.com. You click on events, and there you see it, the Real Talk Golf Classic. It's really easy to find. You can find more information there on the event that'll go at the Ranch Golf and Country Club again Thursday, June 23rd. It's very easy to register. You click on register today. You can get your foursome signed up. Heck, if you want to bring the whole office out, why not sign up for two or three foursomes? And of course, we're also looking for sponsors and volunteers. It's a great sponsorship opportunity to put your brand in front of a bunch of engaged people, but also to contribute to that scholarship fund that's going to do amazing work, uh, providing tuition payments 
uh, providing $5,000 cash to one student, post-secondary student, every year. A minimum of one student registered in a post-secondary program, a student that has lost a parent to cancer. This per Julie's Wishes, the founding member of our editorial board. That's Thursday, June 23rd, the Real Talk Golf Classic at the Ranch Golf and Country Club. Go to ryanjesperson.com events, the events link to learn more. And I also wanted to give a shout out to Kaleo Collective. We, 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 we talked uh, to them earlier this week about their mm-hmm. Mother's Day initiative. Yeah. And I get home and you know my wife, Carrie, Carrie at CarrieSkelton.com. She's a lifestylist and, and you can find, she says, that's so great that you had Kaleo Collective on the show. And I, I, and, and I go, I go, oh yeah. I said, you know about that. You know about, and she, she looks at me and she goes, they're my charity of choice for the year ride. <laughs> Oh, and gosh. I went, right. And she said, yeah, if you want to mention to people that they can learn more about what Kaleo Collective is doing, in particular, this Love You Mama event, uh, which is doing really incredible things for the kids of single moms, uh, making Mother's Day even just that much more special. Carrie says you can refer people to CarrieSkelton.com and learn more about why they've got that charitable partnership and why my beloved cares so much about Kaleo Collective and CarrieSkelton.com. I wanted to mention that on gotta the show. Got to pay attention, Ryan. I got to pay close attention. <laughs> I know you're busy, but... There's so many things to pay attention to, but I walked in the door and she kind of had that that like mixed feeling look. She's yeah. like, that's so great you featured them. And she's like, why didn't you mention our partnership? And I was like, I will. I will circle back and mention our partnership. We're going to take you out to Jasper in just a second, but before we do, I want to remind you that this is the kind of moment where maybe you realize that you're paying a little bit more for something than you need to. You know, we have these moments in our lives. Well, when it comes to your internet, electricity, and natural gas, are you one of those hundreds of thousands of Albertans? Are you one of the millions of Canadians that have seen your cost of living going way up, and that includes your utilities? Why not make today the day that you take five minutes and visit parkpower.ca to compare rates on electricity, internet, and natural gas? Uh, Not only are you probably going to find a better option, including the fixed rate option, But you're also going to have a chance to bundle your services and save on administrative costs. Those are sometimes the ones that send your bill through the roof. Don't forget, when you're signing up, and write this down or text it to yourself, that's what I do, 2022-REALTALK is the promo code you need to save $70 off your first bill at parkpower.ca. Parkpower, your friendly local utilities provider. Our friends at Dairy Queen encourage you to treat yourself. It's blizzard season, and that means a brand new blizzard lineup. Of course, there's the classic favorites. Johnny, every time I put this on Instagram or Twitter, somebody says, and what's your favorite? What's your classic blizzard? And mine have evolved and changed over the years. I used to just be a Smarties guy. Yeah. Then I got on the score train, and now I'm realizing, how do you ignore the very cherry chip blizzard? Or how do you (laughs) say no to the cotton candy blizzard? Or even the Reese's Pieces cookie dough blizzard. The dirt pie. The dirt pie blizzard treat has got to be the coolest one for kids, right? You, you've got the you've got the chocolate dirt, so to speak. You've got the gummy worms in there. What a fun family outing you have in store waiting for you at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton in Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and in Sherwood Park at Baseline Road. If you're looking to just get away from it all, If the thought of fresh mountain air does something to you viscerally right now, you're not going to want to miss this. Every Wednesday, our friends at Tourism Jasper allow us to take a few minutes out of our day and head to the mountains, so to speak, to celebrate Jasper National Park. We call it My Jasper Memories. And this week, we wanted to focus on and feature an opportunity that may not even be on your radar. 
You may be a hiker. You may be a backcountry camper. Maybe you love just setting up at your favorite hotel at the lodge out there. But have you checked out Jasper's Motorcycle Tours? Unbelievably, uh, when you look at the stunning opportunities here, a ridiculously photogenic tour, they call it. Your opportunity to see, in my mind, one of Canada's most magnificent national parks by motorcycle. That's right. With the wind in your hair and the mountains in your sights, the freedom, the wild joy of motorcycling is a dream held by many. And of course, Harley Davidson. I mean, you, you mentioned Harley. Do you, do, you, do you just hear a Harley in your brain when you say the name? Conjures it up. I do. I do. Whether you're a lifetime Harley fan or you just want to see what all the fuss is about, Jasper Motorcycle Tours will kit you out in full leathers. Of course, safety first, plus you're going to look good. And they'll take you to some of Jasper National Park's most iconic landmarks while riding an iconic hog. Make sure you bring your camera. Of course, this is a very unique experience. Jasper Motorcycle Tours was actually the very first in North America to do Harley-Davidson sidecar tours. And the company's been distinguished by Destination Canada as an official once-in-a-lifetime signature experience. So you're obviously going to have an amazing guide with you, showing you all the sites, giving you all the background information, and ensuring that the experience is as safe and pleasant as possible. This is an opportunity, thanks to those sidecars, for people of all ages and all abilities, including people with mobility issues. Those that are in wheelchairs, for example, you can participate and experience the thrill of riding. Each sidecar can carry two guests. And of course, those tour guides are no strangers to finding the safe places to pull over and snap photos. They're happy to do it for you. They've got a five-star trip advisor rating, a certificate of excellence. There is no safer and more entertaining way to hammer the highway. I love it. You can learn more about this by checking out jasper.travel slash realtalk. Jasper.travel slash realtalk. You can learn more about the motorcycle tours and go along on the previous features that you may have missed here every Wednesday on the show. It's My Jasper Memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. We've got a big show in store tomorrow. I'm looking forward to checking in with Chris Boozy. Chris is the founder of a company called Bot Sentinel. He's an expert on determining which Twitter accounts are legit and which ones aren't. They've been studying the developments on the social media site since the announcement that Elon Musk was buying in. Plus, we're going to talk about the stigma or eliminating stigma around the word fat. And she's been called one of the most influential literary voices of her generation. Author Angie Thomas joins us live on Thursday's Real Talk. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, technical producer John Hicks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Lawrence Sterlego, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. 
For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.